by Scripture. And he just didn't talk to me about it. I lived the experience with him. And I went through the experience. Some of it, one Scripture took nearly an hour and a half, you know, for me to, and I literally drank in and lived the Scripture. It was just the most wonderful, amazing times. Because what was, what's been great about the last couple of years it's been so, I, I just, I don't understand this about God, but I guess love. The last, say, 2013 and 14 were the hardest probably years in the last 10 years of my life. It's the most difficult health-wise, horribly, most difficult with loss of great friends, financial difficulties, office difficulties, and, and I don't know how it happens. Sometimes there's even people difficulties, you know, and uh, so I had people difficulties. It was just a very tough year, but the last two years have been the sweetest God years I've had since I was a, in my 20s. I'm 65 this year, and it's, like, and, and it's like I returned to my first love, and the Lord just has visited me for two years, and I'm thinking, God, visit me, but can you bring some joy with you or something or, you know, what, you know, but anyway, it's like, no, no, I mean, it's been difficult, you know, very health has been the very difficult issues and, and that sort of thing. But anyway, um, but, but the Lord has just been, it's just, it's just my heart. It's just like, ah, oh, you know, that's all I've ever wanted. Lord, I feel like I've returned back to my early twenties when I was so pursuing God so hard and, uh, <clears throat> before I got wise in ministry and stuff. But, but anyway, I, 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 just, I just felt like it was a return of the first love. So anyway, so, so this was sort of the, 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 the top of the mountain experience for me that happened in February and, and, uh, and through Psalms 23. So there's no way our time uh, or want to or can do that I can walk you through all of Psalms 23. So what I'd like to do is just pick out, I'd like to go through Psalms 23 and pick out a few applications that I believe Psalms 23 has for you and for me. And, uh, and I can tell you this morning, this is the word of the Lord for Psalms. Uh, Psalms 23 is the word of the Lord, the heart of the Lord for the nation and the church in this year and in next year. God is singing Psalms 23 to us. So the first thing I want to say to you is you have to understand about Psalms 23 was because it was the most beautiful, artfully, skillfully written piece probably that David um, uh, penned uh, in the Psalms. And it was uh, uh, right at close to 3,000 years ago. So the beauty uh, of Psalms 23 has lived numerous translations and, and, and thousands of years, and it still lives and breathes as one of the most beautiful pieces of literature and of language that is out there. It's, you know, uh, it's used at every event somewhat that has to do something about the Lord, most of the time at funerals, which, you know, but anyway, so, but, but, you know, Psalms 23. So everybody pretty much can quote Psalms 23 or a piece of Psalms 23. So it really is, it is, it is a, a fixture. It is a, a, a stay. It is a, it is a centerpiece of the Old Testament. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's so poetic and any language is poetic. I just recently heard it spoken in Hungarian. It was the most beautiful thing I have ever heard in Hungarian. Like, oh my gosh, it was just so beautiful. So so, so what you have to understand when David wrote, David was a king, David was a warrior, and also, of course, you know, David was a musician. And, and so, uh, you know, so he, he knew how to preach, he, he knew how to fight, he knew how to play uh, guitar. So it's like, he was just, he's an interesting, he was, he's, he's charismatic. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, so he was like, he was interesting, he was interesting, you know, so, um, but, but he was, he grew, he began as a musician, but he began as a shepherd musician. He was not just a musician. He was a shepherd. So understood the nuances of behavior of sheep. He, matter of fact, he was a very good shepherd. You know, he's called the great shepherd, good shepherd. Jesus modeled himself in a sense after David and was of the lineage of David. And Jesus called himself and a descendant of David and said, I am actually the best shepherd. I'm the good shepherd and lay my life down for the sheep. So there was this affection, you know, I, you know, at least linkage genetically uh, between David and, and in prophecy and Jesus as shepherds. And so what you must understand is the most of all or all the Psalms were written from the perspective of a warrior king. Like, for instance, David said, God, I hate thine enemies with a perfect hate with hatred. That was the warrior side of David that said to Goliath, 
Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're going down because I got rocks in my pocket. I just was, he, he was into rap too. You know, you know, like I got rocks in my pocket. You're going down, going down, you know. And so, you know, so I mean, so he, you know, David, that was so, I hate thine enemies with the perfect was a warrior. Then you see the cry of the, of the king, you know, in him sometimes. Then you see, you know, the, the young man who's wrestling to find his way in God. My heart thirsts after you like the deer after the water and then you see uh, the shepherd in him. But this is the only place in Scripture of Psalms I can find where David is talking from the perspective of a sheep. He is actually putting himself in the place of a sheep because he understood and watched what sheep needed and what they, he grew up with uh, uh, shepherding sheep. And so, so he was speaking from a sheep. So when you read Psalms 23, it's not David talking as a shepherd. It's not David talking as a warrior, as a king or a musician. It's David talking uh, as a sheep and things he learned and perceived from sheep that he pastored when he was a little boy. So it gives a whole different story, and, and it also gives opportunity for us to connect to what it means to be a sheep in the fold of God. And so he begins by this, and I'll just mention this. Like I said, we'll, we'll bungee jump through this, and every now and then I'll grab something maybe that'll work here, and we'll fit it in the right time frame, and it'll be good. And we'll say what we need to say and not what we don't need to say. So he said to begin with, of course, familiar, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One translation says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not suffer lack. And um, so I want to begin by saying this. This is sort of one of the headliners for 2015, 16, uh, and 17 and on. The Lord is your shepherd. What does a shepherd mean? Well, shepherd is a number of things. You know, shepherd is an ultimate authority and one who has authority, but one who addresses the sheep in the sense of taking care of them. They lead the sheep. They feed the sheep. And Jesus said, matter of fact, I am such a shepherd to you that my sheep, they all know my voice. Everyone know, and another one they won't follow. So there's this incredible bond between sheep and shepherd. And I know we've known Jesus as the prophetic prophet and the apostolic guy and miracles and signs and wonders, and et cetera. But the core DNA of Jesus is a shepherd. I mean, he came he said to give his life for the sheep. So initially, you know, in all that he is and his, his genetic spiritual structure uh, is the cry of a shepherd. He loves the sheep. So foremost in anything, Jesus is the great shepherd, and which means he has, a, he has his plate full of, of leading his sheep into pasture, of comforting his sheep, of loving his sheep. And I love this about Eastern shepherds. Someone once said that uh, a good shepherd in the East never count his sheep to see how many he has. He counts his sheep to see who's missing. And I thought that that's really the core value of a shepherd. It's like, I, don't, I ain't going to tout how many people. Well, I got 300 sheep. He looks around and counts and see where did that one sheep. Why Jesus said that, he said, I've counted, and there's one missing. The 99 are going to have to just, just have church without me for a minute. I'm going after that one. So he had that heart, you know, of a shepherd. And so he's saying to them, one of my, one of my as a shepherd, J- David is looking at Jesus. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And what David, and David said, David was able to say in other places, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or, or, or seed begging bread. He said that because he understood the relationship with the great shepherd, that he was a sheep, David, and God was his shepherd. And shepherd's job, their main, is that the sheep suffer no lack, you know, and even when they share them, this, I love this. I love it. Even when they share them, shepherds are supposed to share the sheep, but they only share off the amount of growth that they were a part of bringing to that sheep's life. And that the growth of wool on that sheep was a direct byproduct of the shepherds leading them into green pastures and to, and to teaching them and to, I mean, I mean, to caring for them so that they would grow and their flock. Before. So they would take from them what they had contributed to them. So it's just a wonderful harmony of give and take between sheep and shepherd. And uh, so David could say that, and he could say they have no lack because one of David's soul objective as a young shepherd was not only to care for the sheep and feed the sheep and lead them green pastures. He fought lions and bears to protect, protect the sheep. So sheep and David, if you were a sheep and David's fold when he's a young guy, you could probably say, 
you know, David's all laughing in a glass of Kool-Aid because, like, I don't need nothing because this man's taking care of me. You know, he's leading me in the green pastures. He's feeding me. He's loving me. If I break me, he puts me over his shoulder and carries me. Uh, when I'm sick, he goes after me. He does, you know. And so he is from a sheep. He is talking to the Lord, and he's saying, guys, I don't know how to say it, but when I saw that that night, I thought, oh, my God. Of, of, of the overarching reality in all of Christendom and all that we teach and all the great teachings of Revelation is basically the simplistic, profound truth that Jesus is my shepherd. He loves me. He cares for me. He came as a shepherd to give his life for me. And he said the good shepherd will literally lay his life down for the sheep. And I thought, Lord, thank you. You're fundamentally that great. You are Lord of Lord and King of Kings, but you're the humble shepherd who will do anything for his sheep. So with that in mind, it brought to focus the next two word, words and highlighted them in a way I'd never seen before. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not suffer lack. And I thought, I love that one <laughs> shall not suffer lack because we're living in an era where people are living out of anxiety of suffering lack because of the ups and downs of economy, the economy, the ups and downs of problems of life. But the bottom line is, David said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or seed out begging for bread. And it doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter where the economy goes, where the stock market goes, where the nation goes, where the bottom line is. You're not, you're not enlisted in that CEO line. You, you, your CEO and your, your financial advisor is the great shepherd. And his whole purpose is to make sure you suffer no lack and that you're not forsaken, you're not left behind, that you have more than enough and that he gives to you pressed down, shaken together and running over because you always help and give to and upgrade and be generous to things you love and care for. You care for them and you make sure they get the best because of the love. I don't know about you. I have seven grandkids and three great grandkids. And I'm telling you right now, those grandkids get what my kids did not get. Mm -hmm. And you know why grandkids and grandparents get along so well? They both have a common enemy. But so, so I am like, oh, and my great grand is like, oh my gosh. It's like, oh, you want what? You want a, a, a bazooka and a nuke bomb? I'll get you one tomorrow. It's like, you know what? You know, just be careful with it, will you? You know, it's like, anyway. And so, and uh, so, so I, 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 I just love that. And, and I, I don't want to be, uh, I got in trouble since. Well, this is all right. If Jesus is the father of the, of the New Testament church, in a sense, God is our grandfather. In a sense, he is our father. He's a, and it's like, I know Jesus loves us, but this whole thing about the judgment, I, get there, I mean, God's our grandfather. He is like looking for any chance to show Jesus that he can outgive him. <laughs> It's like, I love it. I got dad and granddad up there. And I'm going, you know, you know, you know Jesus said, that's all right. Just any needing thing, just ask me and I'll ask the father and, you know, I'm sure he'll do it. You know, so, you know, he's, he's ready to do it, you know. So uh, anyway, so I, uh, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Um, <clears throat> I shall not suffer lack is a better word. So, I mean, sometimes we don't need some things you want. It doesn't matter. My grandkids still get stuff they don't need. They still do. And my, my daughter called me once and said, Dad, why did you give Cody that? I said, because he wanted it. <laughs> Jesus says, whatsoever you want in my name, just pray. You know? I said, how much more shall I give good things to those that ask me? And, you know, and beyond that, even if the Lord doesn't want to give it to you, even when I don't want to give it to my grandkids, all they have to do is throw a fit. <laughs> I know we call it intercession in the church, but, but, but all we have to do is throw a fit, and you go, okay, all right, all right, you know what? I, you shut, go ahead, go ahead, just see how, how it works out for you next month, whatever. So. Yeah, oh yeah, my grandson loves green grapes. He came to my house, and I just bought three pounds of grapes. He ate all three pounds out of the refrigerator, and my daughter called me up, Stephanie, that night. She said, Dad, something's wrong with Cody. I said, well, I said he's throwing up green stuff all over the house. And I said, really? <laughs> she goes, what is, did, is it? It looks like grapes. Did you feel? I go, yeah, he's grapes. She said, did he eat a lot? And I go, yeah, quite a bit. She said, why? I said, you know, he wanted them. He loves grapes. 
anyway, I should have been a little more vigilant. But anyway, so, okay, he maketh me lie down. I mean, excuse me. He, 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 the Lord is my shepherd. So I want to establish the fact that is, God loves us immensely, wonderfully. I've just, I've so been experiencing the love of God the last few years and go, you know, love never fails. Not only that, love always wins. Love always wins. And love conquers everything. There's no greater virtue, no greater thing than to be able to say, like Paul said, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Things to come, things path, height, depth, angels, demons, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And I know it sounds simple, but to, but to feel the impact of it when Jesus is saying, this is the headliner of what I want to say to you, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, who in turn loved the sheep that he gave his life, who in turn told us to love one another. And if we say we love God and don't love each other, we're a bunch of liars. That's kind of where that went. But anyway, that's a whole other message. So, so I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Now, well, of course, one of the things that happened with a good shepherd uh, was that he would lead his sheep. Of course, he would go out and survey the land into the high messes and mesa tables, you know, and, and places and where there was green pastures. And he would make them lie down because he knew they had to have rest. And I just want to say this. I want to park here, but just for a minute. But I didn't know till later on after getting this that this year, 2015, is actually a jubilee year. I didn't realize that. Now, you know, you know, it's the 50th year. That means it's time to rest. All debts are forgiven. Things are taken. gets to be given back. It is a really reconciliation year and a rest year. And it's like the burdens of going and the weight is going off of your year of rest. But I didn't put it together to then because like last year, I've been praying last year that I wanted to take a Sabbath. Like, this is a Sabbath. I said, Lord, I'd like to take maybe two Sabbath years off. <laughs> you know, and like, because I, I'm tired. You know, and it's like, you know, the American, especially ministry, says, mm, you're tired. That just means you need to suffer more for Jesus. You know, just, just intercede and break on through and to the other side. and You'll be fine. You know, you know. it's like, uh, sometimes, you know, a good shepherd says, says he, he leads them. And said, he makes them lie down in green pastures. Because it is in that lying down that, that, uh, that their strength is renewed. And so I thought about that. And I said, Lord, I said, I'm, I'm thinking, should I, you know, take a Sabbath year like this year, next year, whenever it's coming? Well, I, I feel, because I know that uh, the land would rest every seven years in the Old Testament, you know. And, and even God himself, think about that. He's pretty strong. He took a day off once a week. On Sunday, he said on the Sabbath day, he went, ah, I'm not doing nothing today. <laughs> Watching the NFL. <laughs> Anyway, so, so, so I woke up a week later, and there's a little, because he's just, he's just, just, just whamming me with Psalm 23, and he wakes up, and he says in a near audible voice, he maketh me lie down. I go, oh, I kind of got that. In other words, I've been in the place before, if I didn't lie down, I eventually was made to lie down. <laughs> and usually it wasn't a good way. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, that really hurts. I got to lie down. <laughs> or that offense is like, oh, I got to lie down. He maketh me, you know, lie down in green pastures. And one of the things I learned from our beloved uh, Bob, our beloved, did I say D-loved? <laughs> from, our, from our beloved Bob was about rest. You know, that's why he would say, donkey, he go, he go, you're anxious. You said, anxious comes from doubt. <laughs> Doubt's fear, and fear's sin. You're in sin. You need to repent. <laughs> really? And he, goes, he, goes, he goes, what are you all stressed out about? That's sin. If you're stressed out, you're not believing God. And it's always in sin, you know. So, but but it is true, you know, that that, that one of the one of the byproducts should be of being under the auspices of the great shepherd and entering into the joy of salvation is rest for our soul. That should be, you know, rest for our soul. Said he maketh me. So a good shepherd 
knows that sheep don't have enough sense to lay down when they need to. So sometimes he makes them lay down. Now, I don't mean you quit your job or you quit your ministry. I'm talking about the turmoil in your soul and, and, the, and the anxiety that you carry and the weight that you carry, you know, will kill you. Listen, I, I'm a guy with a history of panic attacks, which Bob told me he was a demon. But anyway, so it's like, I, you know, I, 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 I've, I've exani, exa, you know, and pan, you know, I deserve it. I've been in the ministry 40 years. I deserve panic attacks. You know? I, you know, I, I just like that's, that's a part of, the, part of the deal, you know? Suffering. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, but, but, but as I've, but as I've watched through the years myself and other ministries, I've seen the lack of rest of soul, rest of spirit destroy so much. And especially seen it take a toll on the physical heart of leaders. You know, I've had heart problems for a long time, you know, and then I had arrhythmias and affibulation, slow down, fast start, whatever this, and, you know, and, uh, and, um, all kinds of tachycardia and the whole bit. And, and, and all of it came from the inability for my soul to rest and for my heart to rest in God. And somehow I didn't, I labored in it into rest, but never got past the laboring and never really entered into rest. And <laughs> because there's rest in God. And really that was, Bob really taught me that really tried to impact me with that. Cause never seen Bob really anxious about a lot of things. Sorry, I'm just talking about Bob cause he was here with me not too many long ago, but, but anyway, it just, yeah, it just, uh, you know, if it is, it is, it ain't, it ain't, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, whatever. Okay. And, uh, he go, and, you know, when the bottom line is over, when it doesn't work, he goes, it doesn't matter. My daddy loves me anyway. You know, anyway, yeah. Or when he sings, everybody goes, all right. He goes, hey, my daddy loves my voice. <laughs> can I tell you, can I tell you something that yeah. uh, just real quick. You've never heard this probably. So in 2011, 2010, 2011, I have the first Blue Moon Conference in, in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm connected with some of the music because I'm a musician, a musician. So Ricky Skaggs and I have been friends for 20 years, uh, 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 at, least at, uh, at least 20. Um, uh, Allison Krauss and my wife are best friends, and Allison comes to our house. I don't know if you know who Allison is. She passed Aretha Franklin up with Grammys. Five years ago, she's 27 Grammys, the most Grammy award-winning woman in history in music. And so, Allison, you know, she's she's bit, she's all that and a cookie. And so, but anyway, so so she came to my meetings. We became friends. She came incognito, so incognito. You go, she looks so bad. She got to be somebody important. But uh, so anyway, just a cue there for you. Uh, so so she, so she was at the conference, and and Ricky Skaggs at the conference, and since Don Potter was there, the judge were there. We got Wine We got the two redheads. We got Wine and we got the son. We got Wine's husband. And then we got then a friend of mine uh, from uh, the group Corn that started Corn. He's a friend of mine, you know. And so I believe he was there. Yeah, he was there. So we have like who's who on musicians on the back row. Well, Don's leading worship, and Bob's sitting, you know, beside me like this, and, and he starts feeling for the microphone. I go, oh no. Because Bob is going to do what I call hip hop. Uh, excuse me, hick hop is what I meant to say. Hick hop. And, and, and it always sounds like a drunk Indian. Like, I see it's in the trees in this area. You know, and I'm going, oh, no, Bob, you wouldn't. I mean, like, that's just like, these are like professionals. Professionals. You know? so, oh, I, I shouldn't. I'm going to take the time. This is just fun. So anyway, so he sat there, and I tried to hide it. I, I'd move the microphone way over. And, and you know, you, it doesn't matter. Bob, you reach out and get the microphone. And, it, you know, how he, he would do the only kind of, you know, he, he, he walks up and Don Potter. You know, and so he's walking up there, and Bob starts out. It's in the trees, in his area, and he does the whole thing for me and thee. And he starts, and he gets into little things. First time he's ever kind of rapped, you know. And Don, Don's trying to do the rap, and Bob goes, "Cause that's what I see." And, and, and then he couldn't, he couldn't come up with a word to rhyme with C and thee. So he said, "In this whole area," and I went. That's not even fair. Like, that's not a word. I know area is, but not airy. But anyway, so it was like, so, so people were like, to know what to do. You know, I mean, the judge had their cowboy hats on, you know, and everybody sitting on the bang, you know, and everybody. And Bob, because he's at rest, his soul. He, he, he really believed the Lord loved his singing. And so he gets through, 
And, oh, he gets through. I, listen, I, it changed, this changed my life. He gets through, and I'm thinking, oh, Jesus. And he gets through, and he sits down, and he hands me a microphone. He turns around to Allison Krauss and all of them. He goes, top that, will you? <laughs> well, guess what happened? We have the luncheon. All of the musicians want to come to visit with Bob. Because they, they just loved his confidence. You know, they go, that, you know, and he was going, yes, little song the Lord gave. <laughs> yeah, said, all right. Anyway, so I, I've learned to, to how to rest because ministry by most has been a lot of, a, a lot of striving. Boy, gosh, there's a lot of striving going on. And I just want to say really quickly a couple things. Um, the, uh, one of the threads I was telling you, I've been seeing in ministries, everywhere I go, is heart problems. And most heart problems, especially panic attacks, anxiety attacks, tachycardia and all that, comes from stress, comes from anxiety. And uh, if you remember the last time we were here, I believe Bob told you the Lord showed him some of the three spirits that are going to be released on, in the church. is a spirit of fear, a spirit of anxiety, and a spirit of panic. He said there are three demons released against the church. Well, I could tell you just right now, just this week, uh, if I said his name, everybody in this room would know this guy. He's one of the greatest healers in, in our decade and you know, the world at home. He's having tremendous heart problems right now to the part that his heart's enlarging from tachycardia, 200 beats a minute. And, the whole, I mean, and, um, and I'm just seeing that. And I'm thinking, you know what? I, some of that, I, I'm going to leave him out because I don't know. But, but for me and for some others, I know some of that is just an inability to learn how to rest in God. You know, because because when you when you when you are not resting in God and just being yourself and being confident and not feeling insecure, not trying to push, or not are pushing too hard, or trying to overcompensate, or trying to, and you know, all of that puts stress on your system, and you're totally always evaluating yourself and giving yourself a failing grade, which puts more stress on your system, and you're not able to see that in your very worst moment that you think to God is amazing that you've even gotten that far. I mean, his grading system is different. See, the grading system is different in heaven. The grading system in heaven is not how far you've gone. The greatest, because, you know, because some people go a long ways because there's not a lot of wind of adversity against them. Against them. So the greatest system of heaven is not how far you travel. It's how far you travel under the pressure and resistance that was on you. So some people that travel two inches have a higher grade than some people that travel 10 miles because it takes them their whole life to move the two inches because of the stuff they've had to deal with and the place they were at and what's happened to them. And so, so they're, 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 they're effort just to survive every day is a greater effort than some people who spent their whole life turning the world upside down. So it's about the resistance level that you're measured by, not so much by your push. So that's why in heaven, you, know, you might be surprised who's on the front row and who's not. You know, it's amazing. So you can't judge as the Indians used to say, you don't judge another man till you walk in there. You have no idea what they're dealing with. For just them to move an inch may take more effort than it took you, you know, to go around the, you know, you know, and to whatever. So anyway, anyway, so he makes us lie down in green pastures because we have to be made. So 2015, look at me, 2016, no worry, no anxiety, no panic, no, no self-condemnation, no sense of false guilt, no sense of false pressure, no sense of any of that. I took my life aside two weeks ago, and I said, honey, I'm telling you, this is a year of rest for us, and the next year is a year of rest for us. Don't let anything push you, nothing. Anything you think that you, it, and, and I said, because what happens is you get all these little things on you. That's why you're feeling, why am I waiting? Why am I feeling? And it's because you're carrying all these little undone things. I said, I don't care how many things that people tell you. You've got to get this. Or got, I, I'm, I'm telling you, your husband, you don't have to do anything this year. You don't have to do any. Don't be pressured unless the Lord tells you. Don't be pressured to do anything. Don't feel like you have to do anything. Well, I have to go. No, you don't. Don't have to do that this year. All you have to do is rest in the Lord and say, "Good morning, Lord." You know, I think I'm sleeping in today. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has made. Doesn't mean you don't go to work. Doesn't mean you don't do your job. Doesn't, but you do it stress-free and guilt-free. 
and you don't have the problems. Okay, he makes me the light town and green pastures. Uh, he leaves me beside still waters. Don't want to get into that, but that means clear waters, not running waters, but clear that, that has no mixture of mud, like clear, crystal clear waters, no mixture, no poison in the mud. He leaves me beside still waters, and this one really captured me. He restoreth my soul. Now, all of this leading me beside and green pastures and still waters is to get me a place where he restores my soul. So it is a, it is a, a, a continuum. It's a continuum of restoration that he's talking about here. And I believe this year, next year, it started with a lot of us last year. God is restoring the souls of, of his people. And so what does that mean in sheep talk? And I know some of you know this if you know anything about shepherding. But there's a, there's a phrase in, in Eastern, uh, the Eastern land where they shepherd sheep and also in Australia and New Zealand, other places where uh, uh, shepherds uh, shepherd sheep. And there's, a, there's a phrase called cast sheep. I know you, a lot of you know that, but some of you don't. C-A-S-T, like when a sheep is cast. And there's another phrase called writing a cast sheep, not R-I-T. You don't write them a letter and say, I'm sorry, you're down. But I mean, writing as in R-I-G-H-T, I, writing means to turn up, up. So here's what happens with a cast sheep. Good, all shepherds know, and people who know sheep know that if a sheep ever gets upside down on its back, it is a very dangerous thing. Matter of fact, because of the way their organs are positioned and their lungs and stuff, if they're there over two to three, sometimes four hours, they suffocate to death. They die. Cash sheep cannot because they can't flip up. They, you know, <laughs> they can't flip up. If they've got a lot of wool, especially, they can't flip up and flip over. So if they ever get cast, you know, they're, 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 they're dead. Now, I don't know if you ever felt like that. Like, <laughs> but I have, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I don't want to make the connection theologically just as in, just as in interesting, but David said, oh, my soul, why aren't thou cast down? You know, I know that's a little bit of play on words this morning, but anyway, that's not fair. But so, but anyway, I'm just thinking about, you know, cause, uh, cause sometimes in the English language, that's what cast down means when you're cast down and it's like, you can't get up. Well, they call it in the English language. Uh, a cast sheep. And so when a shepherd would count his sheep, one of the things he counted them for, when Jesus said, I leave the 99 to go after the one, they would count them. The only reason a sheep would be missing is not because he said, I'm not following him anymore. I'm tired of eating that stuff. It's because he got cast somewhere. So when they lay down, they would roll over and he would be cast down. So the good shepherd would leave the 99 to go find a cast sheep. And the only way he could find him is you have to get travel to hear him you know crying out and so he would have to write the sheep and so he knew he had two to six hours so he had to go that day to to write the sheep or the sheep would be dead in the morning there's just no way he can get back up i don't know about you but i've been in the place in my life where without god's help i could not get on my feet i just could not god would either come himself or send somebody else to to write me to help me and uh, it's called Christianity. Uh, and so he would find the sheep, and every uh, and so what he would do is, since the sheep couldn't flip, flip over, he would have to grab the sheep by the wool in the back of their hair, and, and he would have to jerk them over, first of all, to their side, because they couldn't get on the side. And then when they're on their side, he would take their heads, which probably hurt, you know, and he would have to jerk, and he would jerk them up, and he would stand them up and straddle the sheep. And the shepherd would put two knees against the sheep to steady him because his equilibrium was complete, all, all the way off. And he couldn't breathe, couldn't stand up. And the writing uh, exercise took up to two or three hours. Sometimes he could do it in 30 minutes, sometimes two or three hours because the sheep was so far gone. So he would stand, he would hold them, and every 15 or 20 minutes he would let go and back off. And the sheep would either t- fall, and he would grab them again and hold them. And the shepherd was committed to riding that sheep until when he let go of that sheep, the sheep could walk away on his own strength. And I thought, oh, my God. And the Lord said to me, he led me through this experience. Matter of fact, not only led me, talked to me about this, he showed me all the times in my life that he had righted me and I didn't even know it. I thought, oh, God, I'm so, wow, I thought you would. Then I remember the good shepherd said, I shall never leave you. 
shall never forsake you. The problem is we don't know at the time. We're so destitute and so upside down, we don't even realize the Lord is writing us. And and one of the reasons we don't realize it is because he sends someone in his place to write us sometime. And so it's some of the person writing us, maybe, you know, someone in the church, someone in, I don't know about you, but some of the greatest, you know, in, uh, in, um, ministry help I've had has been people who just love me and didn't have a great word or give, but just said, you know, I just, I, you know, I just, this is the most stupidest prophecy I've ever given anybody. I just, just feel the love of God for you. And just, you know, I mean, those, those things are invaluable. I mean, the greatest gift you could ever aspire to is the gift of encouragement. There's no greater gift. There's no, because it is what people need the most. The most, the, the greatest plague in the church is a fainting spirit. People everywhere are fainting. So, and, 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 and they're cast down. And, and I see cast down people all the time. So I've, I've learned to just, just begin to write people by t- just by talking to them. So you're amazing. You're incredible. You know, hey, good men fall down. Good women fall down. But the scripture says they rise up seven times. They get back up on their feet. Let me help you get back up. And, you know, and so, so I'm trying to err on the side of over-encouragement. Because I figure I can't get judged for that when I go to heaven. <laughs> so I might as well just do that. So I saw all this time the Lord had righted me. And I go, oh, my God. And this is what the Lord said to me in this encounter. Now, these were nightly encounters that last an hour or two hours. And he said to me, Larry, every time in your life you've ever cried, I've cried with you. You've never seen it. Every time you've ever laughed, I've laughed with you. Because the scripture says he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What we feel, he feels. Not that he cried out of you know, oh, nothing can be done, but he cried out of just his heart for you and his heart for me. I mean, he, he really is touch. He didn't like say, you guys need a little bit of faith. Here, here's a book. You know, it's like, no, I mean, it's like, oh, he's really touched by our feeling. He goes, I am so, so let me help. And, and then we're happy. I know he's happy when we're happy. <laughs> I just know that he is. And he showed me that he was. And he said to me then, I want you to lie down because I want to write you. I want you to lie down and green pastures and the parts of you that are cast down. I, I, I want to, I want to steady you. Yeah. And, um, and I believe 2015, 2016 is about God writing cast down people and putting the, those in his flock under between his knees and his hand on our head and, and standing as ever how long it takes to stand with us until we can stand on our own feet, too. Likewise, go do to others, you know, and train us to do that as well. And so I, I believe the high water mark in heaven, the gold standard, the, the scoreboard will be not how many people did I tell the truth and, and read their mail and fix, but how many, how many did I encourage? How many did I write? How many people did I give them a word that kept them from, from stepping into places they should not have been. I mean, come on. There's the, the ch- champions of the, of the next move of God are going to be people who are lovers of God and who love people. Love prevails. Love is a super anointing. It's just like, my God. I quit praying for revival of the power of God. I have been praying for revival of the fruit of the Spirit. Say, God, I love the power because power is the is a supernatural gifts of the spirit is a supernatural power of God. Through the spirit is a, is the character of God. Gifts are free and are given. Fruit takes a lifetime to grow in relationship with God. And I love gifts of the spirit, but through the spirit is what shoulders the gift of the spirit. And I'm afraid God's not going to give us another power revival unless we get some character in our life and start loving one another because we don't have the strength to carry power without character is destructive. That's why we don't have long-term revivals. They fizzle out very quickly because we don't have fruit shoulders to carry it. But anyway, I didn't mean to go there, but let me, let me back up from that. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't want to go there. Let me go because I've got just a little bit here. I just want, there's two more things I want to say. One is this, that, um, uh, yea, I'll walk through 
the valley of the shadow of death. I shall fear no evil. Two words emphasized to him. We don't have to talk to him about it. Is the word walk and the word through. And the word shadow. Now get this. First of all, the word shadow. What's a shadow? A shadow is not a real substance. So this is not about like death. People think at every funeral, yeah, they all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. No, this is not a death funeral scripture. Have you ever been bitten by a shadow of a snake? I think a shadow bit me. Have you ever been hurt? You've been, you, can, you can bite yourself because you're afraid of a shadow. You know, it's like, ah. But, 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 but he said, you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The imaginations, the fears that are cast upon this. And I thought, oh my gosh, my whole life has somewhat been like an illusion in the sense of the enemy. The enemy's job is to cast shadows of evil intentions upon you and fear. That's why the scripture says that we're to fear not. The scripture says God has not given us a spirit of shadows or fears, but of power and of a love and of a disciplined mind. So I thought, wow, God, then, okay, let's, let's just say this is not death. And the reason why it's not death is because on the other side is him preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemy. So it's, it's really just a place in life that we're walking through. Okay, what, what do we do? And what does that mean? How do I go through these two things? He said, one, you don't crawl through the valley of the shadow of death, and you don't run through it. You walk through it. See, so we seem to think if we're in hard times and cast down times, you know, it's like it's time to crawl. It's like, I just made it by the hair of my chinny chin chin and it's walking through it was a hard time. You know, or you run so fast because you're scared spitless. <laughs> you know, and you don't learn anything. But I love, I, I'm an observer. I love the beautiful poetic art of walking. I watch people, you know how walking is the most amazing is it because of the beauty of it? Like, like when you walk, there's an ease. You don't have to think about it. it just come, you don't have to think I'm walking. I have to think I'm running because I'm allergic to exercise <laughs> and health food and fasting. But, but even, so, so, I, so I, I walk. I walk through the valley of shadow, meaning I don't even have to think about it. But the, but, the, but the artful movement of walking is this, that every part of your body is doing something different than the other. There's a, amazing synchronization of harmony that causes walk and walking. And that's why when they have the walk, when the models do the walk, and that's just beautiful. You know, they have to learn how to walk in such beauty. It's so, I, I just love, I mean, Jesus, you know, the scriptures, Jesus didn't run to the cross. He didn't crawl to the cross. He walked to the cross. Then when he fell down, the man helped him back up again. I was like, I love the fact that of, of walking. You know, I know that we're to run and not be weary, but we're also to walk and not faint. We're also to do that. And I know that Paul said we're to walk in the gospel and, and that, and, you know, and that our walk should be true, you know. And, and so I just love that part. Hey, I thought, you know what? That's what I want to do. I don't want to crawl because I'm tired of crawling. You know, crawling is just, first of all, crawling looks stupid. It's like, how you doing? You know, if you could just see, it's like, you're just hanging on. Like, what? Yeah, don't hang on. Yeah, just, you know. or, or you go like, how you doing? I don't know, where do you go? It's like, my God. Uh, he's running through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? I don't know. You just want to get out of here. You don't want to learn anything. But walking is like, when you walk, you see stuff. When you walk, you take things in. And when you walk, there's just something social in the sense of with each other about, you know. I don't talk with people that crawl by me and go, how you doing? <laughs> you know, I mean, or I don't talk with people and go, hey, hi, good to see you. you know, it's like <laughs> relationship comes when we walk together. So he's walking through, I'm sorry, walking through the valley of the shadow. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, so... He walks, he says, we're walking through because, it, and we're to what? Fear no evil. Because his rod and his staff comforts me as such a whole other teaching. I'm going to write a book on this someday. But I love this. But he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I don't want to get into that, but a, a banquet table. I do know this about Jesus. I suspect he may be allergic to fasting. <laughs> because... Every time you see him doing something he likes to do, it has to do with eating. He even said, matter of fact, when I decide to marry that bunch of you, we're having the biggest dinner you've ever imagined. We'll call it, just see, we'll call it the marriage supper of the lamb. That's what we're going to call it. 
I mean, you see Jesus at the Last Supper is about to go to the cross. He goes, well, we're about to all that. What do we do? Let's, somebody, can I have a hamburger? Yeah. And dip, you know, dip this in. The, yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, you see him at Mary and Martha's house. What's he doing? Eating. You see him at Simeon's house. What's he doing? Eating. What do you say to the little guy in the tree? Remember the guy in the tree, Zacharias? He says, come on down. I'm hungry. Let's go to your house and eat. He said, go to your house and eat. What happened to the two men on the road to Emmaus? And they see him, and he's the resurrected Christ. And they invite him to come in the house, and they sit down. He starts eating with them. They said to him, when, and it wasn't until they saw him eat that their eyes was open to say, oh, it's the Lord. I should have known he's eating. <laughs> Just think about it. See, I think about this stuff. All I, go, I think about this stuff. I think that, so so the, the, the premier scripture is in, in John 21. I'm going, here's Peter fishing, catching nothing all night long. He's been the bad boy, bad boy. What you going to do when they come for you? You know, bad boy, cussed Jesus, cursed about him, denied him, didn't have a future, went back to fishing, couldn't catch anything. It says, and Jesus and his resurrected body is on the seashore. What's he doing? (laughs) Cooking breakfast. (laughs) He's IHOP now. (laughs) And he goes, hey, boys, you like your fish blackened? You want your fish, you know, you like it roasted, fried, deep fried? Yeah, and no reason, he said, cashing on the other side, because he needed some more fish to cook. And so Peter brings him 150-something fish, and he feeds them. I'm thinking, oh, my. How did I get off on this? Anyway, I'm thinking, my goodness, Jesus loves just to sit down and just, just eat with us. Yeah, that's why I loved it when five guys came. I go, there's a five-fold ministry right there. Five guys. I'm with you on that. I love five guys, man. I tell you what, I throw those French fries down. I curse every fat calorie, like in Jesus' name. So anyway, so, oh boy, I'm out of time. Okay, so, I should have, tell you, my wife said, they say, she says, don't give Larry coffee, because his mouth never shuts up after that. Okay. But he anoints, he prepares a table for me, he anoints my head with oil, I want to touch this. So, somewhere in about the middle of the week of this encounter, the Lord, I wake up again, and the Lord is, is he's always to my left side. It's just a whole other thing. He's always on my left side. And he is pouring anointing on me for two hours. All I can do, I don't know how to say it to you, except I'm talking real time. I'm not talking about a dream. I'm talking, I'm awake, and I'm up in bed, and I'm just going, ah, ah, because it's just, it's cascading on me, on my head, and it's just, it just never stops. It's just this anointing. Oil. It's like he anointed my head with oil. I thought, you know how hungry I was, how thirsty, how like, oh, that felt so all I mean literally just I never said a word, but just oh oh just it was so my soul, my cells in my soul were going, That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's why. Then I knew I, I know you know this and I and and I thought about it later at the time, one of the jobs of a shepherd was to anoint the sheep's head with oil. Why? Not because they were called to be a prophet sheep (laughs) or because they had a new ministry to. It's because the flies in the desert would get up their nose and get in their ears and lay eggs and cause infections. And such sheep would go so crazy they would kill themselves, run over bluffs. Now, you know what scripture says flies are? Beelzebub. And and so what they would do, they would have an ointment, an anointment. And when, when, you, when you saw a shepherd anointing a sheep's head with oil, it wasn't like he was anointing for ministry. He was saving his life. He would put the ointment up the sheep's nose and the mouth and the ears to kill the flies so health could come back. And that's why I was going, oh, God, kill one of them. You know, kill the flies. Because especially the nose. Because that's where we get our discernment. And when sheep don't have a sense of smell, they're really in trouble because they'll eat stuff that's not good for them. Or if they have infection in the ear, they can't hear the shepherd's voice anymore, even though he's calling them. And they get lost. And that, I just want to say to you, thus saith the Lord, and Bob, if he was here. <laughs> saith the Lord, 
this year, next year, God is anointing our head with oil. Everything that has weapon that has been formed against us shall not prosper. Every fly that has flown into our ear shall be pulled out, washed out by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God is pouring an anointing come on us, not to make us the big deal, but only, but to take its medicine. He is medicating the church of Jesus. And I am so happy, I'm telling you what, I love that. One more. My, my cup runneth over. Two more. My cup runneth over. The word there means to overflow. My cup runneth over. Let me tell you what I feel the Lord showed me in that one, because he sh- talked to me about that. It's the displacement theory. I know you understand the displacement principle. A displacement principle means that if you have a glass of water, if you consistently pour another liquid that's different than there long enough, it will displace what is in there and replace it with new. Now, a cup that doesn't overrun never experiences displacement principles. And nobody ever is attracted to a full cup. Like, okay. You ever see anybody going, oh my God, look at that, it's a full cup. But yet we're going, fill my cup, Lord. I lift this itty bitty, itty bitty cup, Lord. Come and fill this station. <laughs> we don't need our cup filled. We need our cup overflowing. Yes. Now, you go into a house and you go, the first, if, if a cup's full, you're going to notice an overflowing cup. You're going to say, hey, somebody get some towels, something. That, that cup, something's going, the cup's overflowing. The cup's overflowing. But in the church, it's like, everybody's cup is just like full. Oh, we're full. You're content. It's good. Yeah. But we don't like what's in Well, how does Jesus, how's Jesus going to, oh gosh, how is the good shepherd who loves us, who don't want to hurt us, and he wants to get us through this transition, remove from us the stuff that is stagnant? Not by, now you've got two things. You can either take the cup and go, that's bad. And you're like, now I really feel good. Thank you. Like, <laughs> You need deliverance. Cast that out and everything else. Well, that was me you just cast out. He put me back in. It's like, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm allergic to some counseling. To, but not allergic to it. I just, I just, it works part, you know, sometimes. It's good. Someone said to me in a counseling session, it's just me. And I'm because I do, I love People's lives have been saved through counseling. I understand that. But they said to me during a session in Bethel Church, where's Jesus at in this room? I go, are you kidding me? If I could see Jesus' room, I wouldn't be here with you. <laughs> so I got in trouble for that. But anyway, so it's <clears throat> so, so, so far, so, 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 so bad. Anyway, so, but, but I do believe in it. I'm saying, but I'm saying sometimes when we counsel or we deliver, we, we, we cast out everything. <laughs> it's like, so here's what Jesus does with us. I believe if there's stuff that needs to come out of us, instead of identifying it and putting us through a, a rigorous, you know, exercise about all that, he just consistently just pours in new wine and pours in. And pretty soon, at first there's a mixture. Then if secondly, there's still some of the old. After a while, there ain't nothing left but the new stuff in there. And it's flowing over, and I'm going, Lord, that's what I want. Make my cup run over. You know, don't just change the water in my cup. Don't just get it to the brim. I mean, I want my cup to overflow. Because people are attracted to overflowing cups. They're just mesmerized. They don't know what to do with it. Overflowing cups infatuate people. How's that cup overflowing? Should we clean it up or drink it? It's like... Depends on what's in it. <laughs> okay. Last one. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'd like to give you just a, a, a layman's correction on um, the Hebrew word there, a follow. Uh, all, all trans, a lot of translation says goodness and mercy. By the way, the word mercy is, is goodness and mercy. The word mercy in most translations is unfailing love. Goodness, which is translated kindness, the kindness and unfailing love of God shall follow me all the days of my life. And, <clears throat> but I want to make a layman's correction on uh, follow me. Most theologians will tell you, and if you look it up, pretty much the weight 
leans toward the word follow in the English language as not being the best interpretation. Actually, it's, it's misleading in a sense. The best translation is goodness and mercy shall pursue me. Now, there's difference in follow and pursuing. If you've ever been followed by someone, you know it's different than being pursued by someone. So we live a life like goodness and mercy is following us. Like, I know you're there. <laughs> like the stalking God. It's like, okay, goodness and mercy is, you know, come on. I'm waiting on the Lord. Catch up. Come on. Goodness and mercy, follow me. Because that, that's kind of a passive word, follow, especially when you're kind of sneaking around. But in the Hebrew, this word is an active word. So it's an action word. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me. I, like, I think Bob Mumford in the 70s said, goodness and mercy in Psalms is like two little puppies nipping at your heel, chasing you through life into the kingdom of God. I go, I love that. I love that. Because, because really, God is not a God of just following. He's a God of pursuit. Everything he does, he does passionately. He loves us passionately. passionately. He pursues us passionately. And if necessary, he'll push us right into the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. But I love that goodness. Okay. This is, I'm going to pull this to show you. This is my last thing. Because this is my, this is, this is where Larry may not have a ministry much in the next few years if I keep saying this. But I'm 65. I'm going to see Jesus in the next 15 or 20 years. I just don't care. I care what people think. I don't care what they think about me anymore, really, because I figure in 20 years from now, I'll be 85. I probably won't be here. I'll be having to answer to Jesus and not to you. So I figure out, the Lord's already told me, you're closer to where you're going than where you've been, so you might ought to invest and think about where you're going as a stint to pay attention to where you've been. So anyway, so just want to throw that out there. So... (laughs) <clears throat> wow, yeah, I'm going to answer to Jesus. He's my ultimate shepherd. He's my ultimate authority. So I'll, I'll have to answer to him. So I've settled something that prophetic people shouldn't settle. I've settled this. And I have friends who used to be friends of mine who are not really happy with me right now. I got some churches who don't want me to come back right now because I've settled this. Goodness, the goodness and mercy of God. I do not believe God is a God of judgment who has Christian moments of goodness and mercy now and then. I believe God is a God of mercy and love and, and, and unfailing love who, as a last resort, when nothing else worked with tears, has to release judgment. He's not a judging God. He's a loving God. Okay. Here's where I'm getting in trouble. As a prophetic person, I'll be asked, I'm going to the Voice of Prophets next week to speak, and I'll be asked, I know I'll be asked someone, is God judging America? Is America under judgment? I used to sidestep that. Now, because I, I, I've talked to God, I know. I, I'm going to tell you one thing. America is not under judgment. The church is not under judgment. As a matter of fact, goodness and mercy is going to follow us and, and is following us. And this is why I say this. Here's what we haven't understood. And this is what we've got to correct in our theology. We, don't, we have not understood the difference between judgment and reaping and sowing. So here's what we've done. We've been stupid. I'm not saying we've not been stupid. We have entertained the spirit of stupid in this nation and in the church and in our lives. The scripture says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you sow, the same shall you reap. So if you sow to the flesh, you shall reap of the flesh. So we have spent years sowing to the flesh. So will bad times come? Yeah, they always come. But is that the judgment of God? No, it's our own stupidity, sowing, reaping what we've sown, and we have the audacity to blame our bad sowing and reaping on the judgment of God. Like, come on. How silly is that? How insulting is that? So I do not believe God is judging America because I've looked at the... uh, ethics of God, but I look at his, like with Abraham, like with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, if I could just find a few, just a couple, just two or three, I would not bring judgment on the city. I travel this nation. You know how many 
God-loving, hungry, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. You know how many wonderful pastors like you have here and like another church? This, this nation is filled with leaders and pastors and who just love the sheep and love God. Christians who, I said, are you kidding me? I'm talking millions of people in this nation. And I have prophetic brothers who are saying, God's sick and tired. He's going to judge and the judgment's coming. And, you know, and they, how do you know? Well, this is going to, I go, well, so what? That may happen. But you know what? When the Renaissance movement emerged in the 14th, 15th century was the greatest release of the creativity of God. We came into the new age, out of the dark age. The Black Plague was happening at the same time. It wasn't God's judgment. It's just always on parallel tracks when, tracks when God... When God initiates, Satan responds, and when God does something, he reacts. When God acts, Satan reacts. It's just the way it is. It's not about is bad things coming. It's how have you postured yourself and believed that you will either be a part of the Renaissance or part of the Black Plague, that you will either be standing at the door of Noah's Ark and not walk in and choke under what looks like judgment and drown or just make those 16-inch move, a posture inside, and what was judgment to everybody else becomes a revival to you. It's not about good things coming. It's about how have you postured yourself. So if you have postured yourself for the banks to fold and for America to go down, the money to go down, go for it. You know, have all the lack you want. And you're probably going to fit right in because your faith is going to be there. And you're going to posture yourself and you get what you believe. You get what you believe. But if you're a Joseph, if you have postured yourself in the bottom of prison, waiting for the scripture said until his word came the word of the lord tested him until his time came it took economic collapse it took economic downturn for a young man's vision to come to pass because the prosperity of his visions was dependent upon a need that was going to happen in the land. If he would have agreed with the need, he would have gone down with the drought in Egypt. But he was of a different spirit, of a different vision. He had postured himself different, and he knew that God was a God of goodness. So when bad times came, he was able to offer an alternative health plan in God. He's like, okay, you can be a part of the drought, or you can get some wisdom from God and let's store some grace. Let's do whatever we need to do or whatever, you know, whatever we need to do. And so, so, so the worst of times become the best of times for people who posture themselves. During the Great Depression, they say the greatest fortunes that have ever been made were made in the middle of the Depression by men who had positive attitudes and who saw failure and economic collapse as an opportunity to succeed. And to me, that's God's very nature right there. God doesn't cringe when things go down. And listen, he has his own problems. He had a church split a long time ago. A third of his members left with his worship leader. <laughs> Don't look at me. It's in the Bible. He didn't go, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? No, no. He postured himself and said, that may be true, but I'm still the first church of Jehovah here. <laughs> you know? And right now, read the end of the book because you lose. You know? It's about how you posture yourself. So, so I know there's a prediction already going out. September, there's a crash coming, another crash coming. Let it come, but just don't you crash. You know, look for an opportunity to exploit times like that. Yeah, look for an opportunity to ride the crest of that great outpouring, not as judgment, but as a revival to, to, uh, to set in Joseph's throne. Because here's what I'm, uh, this goodness and mercy, if you'll believe it, now this takes faith, but if you'll believe it, will run you down. You will not be able to stop the blessing of God. Because his very nature is to bless. Ask Abraham. He was blessing the city, blessing the field, blessing the loud, blessing his herd, blessing. He shouldn't have been because the guy didn't even have a good tent. And he's like running from here to there, couldn't figure out. He'd move like 20-something times in two years. But anyway, I didn't mean to say that. But, but I'm just saying, so get ready for 2015, 2016 for an opportunity to, to excel like you've never excelled financially, spiritually, relationship with God, and favor with man. There's an opportunity opening up. The reason I know there is is because bad times are coming, and God is the God that capitalizes on bad times. Because his strength 
is made evident in weakness. So, Lord bless. We thank you. Speak Psalms 23 over this group. And I say goodness and mercy shall follow this church. Goodness and mercy shall follow the people in this church. Goodness and mercy shall follow our nation. And Lord, you, it will overtake us. And though bad things happen. And though it's the worst of the worst, we also know the best of the best is always there. Because anywhere Satan sets up the tent, God sets up a tabernacle. And so, Lord, we declare in Jesus' name that you're the God of all things. And God knows how to checkmate every bad move. So, Lord, with you, well, I want to just say this, and I'm walking out of here. Just say with me as God is on this chessboard of life. Just say to the devil and say to your your financier, checkmate. Just say, checkmate. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. That was a great word, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, Lord, let's just receive the overflow. Amen. If we could get the ushers up here, we're going to take a ball from right quick. If these guys could come, here they come. And if, if you want to make a check out, you can make it out to River Life. Like I say, all of it will go to Larry. We'll write him one check and make sure he gets it. And we'd like to invite the ministry team to come. Huh? You want to say something? Yes. Um, I just want to echo his, this, the whole Jubilee thing. Because the Lord is speaking to me about that too. And um, the two years, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but you didn't say it. So I just want to say it for everybody else. Um, Le- Leviticus 25, it's, you know, there's seven sevens. So the 49th year is a rest. And then the 50th year is another rest. So it really is two years of Jubilee. Like, I mean, there's the rest and there's Jubilee. So it, it's real. And we, we just, and, and I also had experiences follow the Lord. I didn't know anything. I didn't know that. The Lord said rest. And then I got sick for months because I didn't know how. And I just feel like the Lord is going to make us lie down. He's going to teach us, you know, like, He's going to teach us how to rest, and we, we are going to learn to rest in Him. So thank you, Lord, for being a good teacher and a good shepherd. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. That word was right on. Yeah, yeah. This right where we've been, and the Lord really is wanting to teach us how to rest and enter into that rest and stay there with Him. I want the ministry team to come up. Is uh, where's Jen in them at? There she is. Yeah, to pray for people specifically about any, well anything you might have a need for, we want to invite you to come and receive that. Or and if you want to uh, pray about learning how to rest in the Lord, if you'd like somebody to pray for you about that, that would be a good thing. Also, let's give Larry a big hand. And. Uh, I, you know, the stuff he was saying at the end, I think most of y'all know that's sort of our thoughts, you know, so we'll be glad for you to come back. <laughs> we, we already believe that about the Lord, that the Lord's pursuing us, and He'll get us through every bad time. So thank you.